A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us on the program today. Coming up, we're going to be talking about, um, well, one of the major pushes for the gun control lobby in the wake of the uh, Bruin decision. There are a couple of tracks that the uh, anti-gunners are working on, and, um, well, opposition to the right to bear arms is uh, one of them. We'll get to that momentarily. Before we do, however, this episode brought to you by Direct Bullion USA, the new gold standard of gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swap of Washington, D.C. take your guns, so why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbullionusa.com today and start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide. Secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbullionusa.com. So as we've been uh, talking over the past couple of weeks, Democrats in some states are feeling emboldened right now. They had a good election day. Uh, In states like Illinois, they actually added to their numbers. And as a result, Illinois Democrats are talking about banning so-called assault weapons, perhaps uh, getting started this month, even before the 2023 legislative session begins. Looks like they're going to at least start to take work uh, in the lame duck session. Meanwhile, the other thing that uh, we've seen besides attempts to ban the most commonly sold rifle in America today uh, are those attempts by states to curb the right to carry. After the Supreme Court released its decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin earlier this year, uh, states like New York immediately rushed into special session to try to draft uh, new rules that would get around, or at least attempt to get around, what the court had to say about the arbitrary and discretionary issuance of concealed carry permits based on an unreasonable standard of a good cause or a justifiable need, right? Well, New York's uh, new post-Bruin laws, they're already being challenged. In fact, uh, large portions of those laws are actually uh, on hold uh, right now, thanks to a a federal judge. We know that other states are going to be investigating, uh, doing what they can do to attack the right to carry in 2023. California lawmakers, they were one vote shy of passing a bill that looked a lot like New York's. Uh, They tried to pass that through an emergency measure, and so they had a higher vote threshold that they failed to meet. But that vote threshold is going to get lowered starting January the 1st, and it is highly likely that California's uh, new concealed carry restrictions are going to look an awful lot like the state of New York's. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, lawmakers are rushing to get a concealed carry bill to Governor Phil Murphy's desk for his signature before the end of the year. Uh, And yesterday, That bill cleared a major legislative hurdle uh, passing out of the uh, last Senate committee and heading to the floor of the New Jersey State Senate, where a vote uh, is expected perhaps as early as next week. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, uh, both the opponents and supporters of the bill recognize that this uh, bill is likely to end up in court. Uh, Senate President Nicholas Scutari Democrat from Union, New Jersey, said this is going to be challenged. There's no doubt. But we believe it struck the right balance and will meet constitutional muster. Well, he can believe it, but I don't believe it. Uh, I mean, here's just a a few of the more questionable provisions in the uh, uh, proposed New York law. It would require gun owners in the state who want to bear arms in public to purchase liability insurance. Yeah. 
Mandatory training is probably going to be upheld, um, although the training requirements, if they're too onerous, can be challenged in court. But the permit, uh, or the excuse me, the uh, the, the uh, mandate that folks purchase liability insurance, um, that I think is not likely to survive court muster. Uh, also, not likely to survive a court challenge. Many of the uh, quote sensitive places. That New Jersey lawmakers want to make off limits to concealed carry holders, including uh, schools, public parks, courthouses, bars, restaurants that serve alcohol uh, in New Jersey. One of the greatest, one of the greatest things that New Jersey's ever done, in my opinion, diners with liquor licenses. Oh, it's amazing. Go into a New Jersey diner 11 o'clock at night. You get to have a beer with your steak fries and brown gravy. Oh, it's fantastic. But if you're a concealed carry holder, you can even set foot in a New Jersey diner with a liquor license, even if you weren't drinking under the proposal that New Jersey Democrats are offering. And again, I think that is unlikely to pass uh, constitutional muster, as would be the uh, ban on concealed carry in parks and basically any other place where the public might gather. uh, And there's no, uh, you know, strict security uh, involved. There's no magnetometers, not even law enforcement present, right? It's just a place where the public gathers any attempt to make those spaces sensitive, I don't think is going to. Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to survive legal scrutiny. Quite frankly, uh, based on what jo- Justice Thomas said in the Bruin decision, and again, he did not lay out an exhaustive list of places that could, in fact, be deemed sensitive. But he made it clear that those places were the exception and not the rule. Right. Uh, He talked about uh, in the historical record, there seems to be agreement that things like uh, polling places, legislative assemblies and courthouses, uh, those places could be considered gun free zones. But again, there is a heightened expectation of additional security already existing in those places. Uh, What New Jersey is trying to do. And remember, the first round, first draft of this bill in New Jersey, uh, not only banned uh, guns on public transportation, which still in the uh, current concealed carry bill, it attempted to ban concealed carry in private vehicles too. So despite Nicholas Gattari's protest that, oh no, this is going to be upheld by the courts. We're really looking at, uh, you know, something that's kind of a stand court. No, I don't think they are. I, I think they're making a, um, let's put it this way. I think they're making a half-hearted attempt to remove the most egregious uh, violations. But, I don't think that the minor changes that New Jersey Democrats have made to this uh, piece of legislation will go nearly far enough to satisfy the requirements of the courts. It certainly hasn't gone far enough to satisfy uh, a lot of gun owners in the state. Uh, In addition, by the way, to all of those restrictions, there are a few more impositions on those wanting to exercise their constitutional right. The proposal would increase a carry permit from $50 to $200. That would be in addition to, again, all of your training and all of your insurance mandates and purchasing a firearm itself. State Senator uh, Declan O'Scanlan, Republican from Monmouth, says that uh, the proposed fee hikes are, quote, regressive and way too high. Joseph Laporto, who represents a, a group called Safe Way Out, which helps domestic violence victims and others escape their circumstances said that uh, when he talked to his clients, a majority of them expressed a need, not a desire, but a need for a carry permit. And he says, quote, many of our clients are indigent. 
coming from urban centers like Newark, Patterson, and Trenton. He says, making the process so hard and expensive is a thinly veiled attempt to restrict the rights of the poor, and that has obvious implications in creating a disparate impact among racial and ethnic lines, which I think, by the way, is accurate. Um, The laws that New Jersey Democrats want to put in place are a violation of everyone's constitutional rights. But that burden likely will fall disproportionately on those living in high crime areas, those at the lower end of the economic spectrum, uh, who may very well be priced out of exercising their right to bear arms in self-defense, even though one could argue they have a greater need than, let's say, somebody like me uh, to exercise that right. Now, again, I don't like saying, well, that person should be able to exercise that right, and you shouldn't. Again, it's a right of we the people. So it really doesn't matter if you live in a gated community or you live in public housing. It's still your right. But, again, I do think that uh, these gun control laws are likely to fall disproportionately on uh, the enforcement of these laws anyway. Likely to fall disproportionately on those on the lower end of the economic spectrum and those, again, with the most pressing need for uh, self-defense in their own lives. Of course, gun control advocates, they see it differently. Uh, Lisa Winkler with Moms Demand Action testified in support of the bill on Monday. She said, quote, the idea that a good guy with a gun resorting to vigilantism will make us safer is a fantasy and not rooted in sound logic or statistics. If guns made us safer, the U.S. would be one of the safest in the developed world, not one of the worst. Now, what's weird is I thought that Moms Demand Action wasn't anti-gun. Right? Don't they tell us that all the time? Don't they tell us that they're not anti-Second Amendment? That they're only in favor of a few common-sense gun safety laws, but they're not trying to infringe on anyone's rights? And here's Lisa Winkler. Guns are bad! Get rid of all the guns! We didn't have guns! We wouldn't be so... Yeah. The mask slips, right? When they start testifying about gun control proposals. All of a sudden, now it's not about reasonable common-sense measures respecting people's right to keep and bear arms. Oh, no, 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 no. Now it's about doing everything they can to ensure that people can't access those rights. Um, Now, here's the question for Lisa Winkler. Not that she would answer it, because, you know, moms and actually don't really like to have an open, honest dialogue or discussion or even a debate. Mm -mm. They like to repeat their talking points and then shut down. But Lisa Winkler says that the idea that a good guy with a gun resorting to vigilantism will make us safer, is a fantasy, not rooted in sound logic or statistics. Well, it certainly wouldn't be rooted in statistics in New Jersey, where the state has made it so flippin' difficult to obtain a concealed carry license that there are only a few hundred licensed concealed carry holders in the state when the Bruin decision was handed down. We do know, however, despite uh, Lisa Winkler's protest to the contrary, that, uh, well, there are somewhere between, on the low end, 100,000 defensive gun uses every year. On the high end, as many as 2.5 million defensive gun uses every year. That's what statistics tell us, right? Again, even if you want to go on the low end, 100,000 defensive gun uses every year. Well, that's more than twice the number of gun deaths in this country every year, including suicides, accidents, and homicides. Not that that matters to Lisa Winkler, And not that it really matters in a debate over again the exercise of a fundamental right, but if you want to start throwing statistics out, we can do that too. But from a logical perspective, we're not talking about vigilantism, as Lisa Winkler describes. You know, every day on this program, we bring you an armed citizen story. 
These people aren't vigilantes. In many cases, they're in their own home. I uh, wrote about a, a case out of Chicago yesterday where a guy was in his own car when three individuals walked up, one of them armed with a gun, pointed the gun at him. Guy in the car had his concealed carry license and was carrying at the time, drew his own firearm, shot two of the three would-be carjackers. Uh, they sped away in their car, crashed a short time later. A third suspect was injured in the uh, car crash. And according to police, it's believed that these three are part of a larger group that had targeted at least nine other people in at least six separate armed robberies in the half hour or so before they targeted that armed citizen. Now, none of those other nine robbery victims were able to protect themselves or defend themselves. They were at the mercy of the violent criminal pointing a gun at their heads. And that attack, those attacks, would have likely continued. There would have been more victims. Potentially even injuries or fatalities at some point, were it not for the fact that one of their chosen targets was able to protect himself. Again, this wasn't an act of vigilantism. It wasn't like this concealed carry holder just uh, you know, saw this crew pull up across the street and thought, well, they're up to no good. Let me get my gun and see what's going on. No, he's minding his own business in his own car when all of a sudden he was targeted by these violent criminals. And thankfully, again, he was able to protect his own life, and in doing so, likely saved the lives of others down the road, maybe in the next 30 minutes, maybe in the next 30 days, maybe in the next couple of years. But he had a positive impact because he was able to protect himself. And that is what the right of armed self-defense is all about. Yes, ensuring our own safety, but hopefully, if we are in an opportunity uh, to do so, to help save the lives of others as well. Lisa Winkler might not think that's a good idea, but um, I know tens of millions of Americans who think otherwise. Now, today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report will start there with a, a case out of California. Again, plenty of gun laws in California. Uh, but that is not stopping violent offenders from obtaining firearms illegally. And when they can't do that, well, sometimes they'll just use a machete. That's right. Suspect in fatal machete attack in Rancho Cordova, California, has a lengthy criminal history. According to uh, local court records, James Hall is accused of killing Timothy Farrell with a machete uh, on, um, this was last Monday. This was uh, just a little more than a week ago. Hall allegedly cut Farrell on his head and face while Farrell was riding a bike. Farrell was placed on life support shortly after the attack and then was pronounced dead on Friday. According to court records, James Hall man accused of murder in this case, has a series of weapons charges dating back a decade in Sacramento, but his criminal history dates back even further when you look outside the uh, 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 Sacramento area. Court records indicate that more than 20 years ago, 2001, Hall was convicted of felony vehicle theft in Solano County. That was a nonviolent felony, but under existing state and federal law, uh, Hall was no longer allowed or eligible to uh, possess a firearm or a single round of ammunition. So a decade goes by, then in 2012, he's charged with felony second-degree commercial burglary at a uh, rental car facility, as well as misdemeanor unlawful use of tear gas. 2014, he's charged with two counts of being a felon in possession of a firearm, in this case, a homemade gun. 
Don't know what the disposition of that case was, but two years later in 2016, he was charged with three counts of being a felon in possession of a homemade gun, this time with ammunition. Uh, He pled guilty to those charges, uh, according to uh, CBS Sacramento. But they say that court records indicated he may have benefited last year from a new California law, AB 1950, which reduces the length of probation for most individuals convicted on criminal charges in California. Uh, CBS 13 has not confirmed whether or not his probation was shortened and by how much. But listen, (laughs) it really doesn't matter. You've got an individual who is no stranger to the court system and who apparently has suffered very few consequences for committing both possessory offenses and violent crimes in his past. Uh, And now, James Hall facing the most serious charge of his life. Murder for the death of a uh, Rancho Cordova man. Not with a gun, but with a machete. Machete that apparently under California law, he was still allowed to possess. Uh, Today's armed citizen story. Dayton, Ohio where a woman has been acquitted in a uh, case uh, in which she was charged with murder. The jury uh, rejecting the arguments of prosecutors uh, and instead uh, uh, declaring this woman to be not guilty. Georgia Jackson, 36 years old, was indicted back in August on two counts of murder and four counts of felonious assault. Uh, According to her attorney and police records, Back on December 19th of 2021, uh, Jackson allegedly shot a uh, 34-year-old named Ashley Webster and a 27-year-old woman. Webster was pronounced dead at the scene. The second one was taken to a local hospital with injuries that were not life-threatening. Uh, Major Jason Hall with the Dayton Police Department says, During this time, the individual responsible for shooting both females called 911, provided her location, and was detained. The initial indications are that the deceased and the suspect were known to each other and had been involved in an ongoing dispute that tragically resulted in gunfire. Now, the defense claimed that Jackson was acting in self-defense. They said that uh, Webster had actually threatened Jackson and another man uh, with whom she had attended a party, and that on the day of December 19th, Webster made four trips to Jackson's home uh, where she and the man were. During one of those trips, Webster's vehicle pulled in behind Jackson's vehicle, blocking her exit. And Webster then got out of her vehicle and reportedly, quote, attempted to assault the defendant with an object. It was during that final attempted assault, the defense attorneys argued, that the defendant, a licensed concealed carry holder, invoked her right to self-defense and defense of another. They noted as well that she called 911 herself, that she stayed on the scene, that she talked to arriving authorities. In other words, she didn't act like somebody who had perpetrated, who knew that they had perpetrated a violent crime, right? Um. And the jury in this case agreed. Uh, The uh, case against Georgia Jackson dismissed entirely. She has been released from jail, indicted on those two counts of murder and four counts of felonious assault. Uh, But again, jury said, no, we don't think that those charges fit the circumstances of what actually happened. Uh, Jackson's defense attorney, L. Patrick Mulligan, uh, declared himself to be delighted with the verdict, saying, quote, the facts were overwhelming in Ms. Jackson's case. In favor of her. So again, you know, some of the defensive gun uses that we talk about in the story are on this show every day, they're they're pretty cut and dried. 
Um, but just because you act in self-defense doesn't mean that you will not face a criminal investigation. It doesn't mean that you might not face criminal charges or even a trial with a jury of your peers. Uh, but thankfully, in this case, it appears that justice was done and uh, Georgia Jackson has been exonerated of any criminal charges in acting in self-defense. Finally, today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time. We'll able to do the right thing. Just a couple of folks who saw something that they thought was wrong uh, and they alerted police. This was in Brentwood, Tennessee, where uh, there was an altercation uh, apparently at a, a gas station. And witnesses saw what they thought was a domestic violence incident. Uh, Detective Adrian Breedlove says a female was being dragged into a car after uh, being pushed down by a suspect. So the witnesses contacted police, were apparently able to provide a description of the vehicle and the driver, and police stopped the car just a short time away, uh, a short distance away. And in the course of their investigation, learned that the victim of this uh, alleged domestic violence incident was actually a victim of sex trafficking. Yeah. I mean, again, already a serious charge, but it just got a heck of a lot worse. Uh, 43-year-old Ontario Lowry, who's a native of Wisconsin, was behind the wheel of this uh, Purple Dodge Challenger. The victim in this case, a 29-year-old woman, is also in the car, taken to the hospital for her injuries. And uh, again, um, Detective Adrian Breedlove says the victim also most likely a victim of human trafficking, saying that she had described that she had numerous contacts with law enforcement across the United States, but unfortunately, they were not able to see these signs of uh, human sex trafficking. Ontario Lowry and his alleged accomplice, 40-year-old Mistiana Ray, uh, according to police, have for the past couple of years uh, basically been forcing this woman to prostitute herself. They say that she was trafficked across at least 50 cities in the United States, across at least a dozen states in the U.S., from North Carolina to California to Florida to northern states. Detective Breedlove says he is thankful for the officers that were out there on the street, also thankful for the uh, eyewitnesses who alerted police. The victim, who was rescued, is currently described as being in a safe place. Uh, police also say that Ontario Lowry investigated for similar sex trafficking activities in Salt Lake City, Utah, back in 2013. He was convicted federally in 2014, but he was released on the Salt Lake City charges in 2016. So again... A relative slap on the wrist for basically enslaving women and forcing them to prostitute themselves across the country. Let's hope that if Mr. Lowry is convicted of these most recent charges, that the uh, punishment actually fits the crime this time around. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Uh, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com, the website throughout the day. We are updating the site with all of the news you need to know about your right to keep and bear arms, the legal, political, the cultural fights that are underway, the successes that we are seeing, and the threats ahead. Uh, and if you like what you see, by the way, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. Not only will you be supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism we do at Bearing Arms, but as our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content. New stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.